Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And this is User-Friendly 2.0. I am your host, Bill Sickens. Welcome to this week's show. Gretchen, welcome. Hello there. So Bill's going to be joining us a little later to go over some new things in the world of role-playing and kind of a new system, or not a new system, but a to me, a new concept, and he'll explain this a little bit better when we get to that point. So we'll just leave it at that. I'm not going to try to explain it any worse than I already have. So <laughs> anyway, that's up and coming, and uh, we're looking at some different things there. We're also going to be talking about AI, and uh, not that that's a new topic for us, but going into a little bit more of the hardware and some of those type of things. So there we are. I can't believe it. We're here in December. In fact, this is our last of three new shows for this year. Then we do our clip shows over the holidays, and then we start with our season six. It's amazing that we're to that point. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) And there you are. That about just sums it up, I think. Sorry, I was um, uh, the guy from um, The Fifth Element, you know. Yep, yep. That's about right. uh, (laughs) All right. Well, with that, let's jump into the news. Know anyone with an outdated business photo? Zing Studio Sherwood is a full-service portrait studio offering headshots and portraits to the Sherwood community and beyond, specializing in bringing out the best in every subject. Zing Studio Sherwood, let's celebrate what makes you extraordinary. ZingSherwood.com So what's in the news? Amazon unveils Q, an AI-powered chat box for businesses and I suspect Star Trek fans. Yeah, I was going to say, is John Delancey involved in this in some way? Yeah, you know, I, I can't see that without John Delancey. Okay, Q it just uh, you know, I just yeah. uh, it would be interesting to see where the Q name came from with this. But anyway, so AI powered chat box. It's going to start at twenty dollars per user per year. They now have it in a public preview. It can answer questions like, "How do I build a web application using AWS?" Trained on seventeen years worth of Amazon Web Services or AWS knowledge. And it goes on from there. So kind of an interesting idea. AI, uh, generative AI, learning AI, all that kind of stuff has been definitely in the news this year. It's become kind of a big deal. Next week, we're going to have a guest on that's going to be talking about AI agents and some things that they're able to do with that. So having more of these kind of technologies come out, Microsoft, I know, just debuted something similar to this in the last couple of weeks as well, is uh, is interesting to see how this is building out. So. We'll see where Amazon goes with this. And um, having the first question be something about Amazon Web Services does not shock me. <laughs> Myth of room temperature superconductivity in LK99 is shattered. What is LK99? All right, let's actually start with superconductivity. So they're looking for a way to be able to conduct energy without any kind of resistance. So to give kind of a very just overview of this type of thing is when you use a computer that heats up, what's actually creating the heat is resistance of the electron going over the wires within the component. So you have to cool that down, whether it's a fan or liquid cooling, depending on how hot it gets, radiator, a different type of thing. So one of the holy grails is to be able to figure out a way at room temperature to have a superconductive material that does not create resistance. Oh, I get it. Doesn't create so heat, it's right? like those big server rooms and all the fans. Yeah, Remember it would that? do. If this was okay. able to be done, it would do away conceivably 
with that kind of a thing. And there was a claim that this thing called LK99, I'm not going to go into the detail of where that acronym comes from, was able to do this. And it's basically been disproven. There is resistance. Although I do have to say, looking at the results using this process, there's a lot less resistance than what's being done normally. So it would be a good intermediary step, I think. Okay. Quantum Scape introduces solid state batteries to compete with Tesla. Yes, and no, they're not going to be called Edison. Oh, good. Yeah, we don't want to reinvigorate that rivalry. <laughs> no, no, I, I don't think we would need to, to be honest. But electric vehicles and all of the things related to that are very dependent on batteries. And one of the things that is causing problems with adoption is the fact that when you have an electric vehicle, you have to recharge it. And this process can take half hour, 45 minutes, even longer depending on the situation where if you refill your internal combustion vehicle, that's done in minutes, depending on the line at the gas station, and you're able to go on your way. And the other part of this is range, because if you run out of fuel, you're most likely going to be able to find a gas station, but finding a charging station, not so much. And even if you do, sometimes they don't work. And then you have to try to get to another one. It's definitely something that's caused a lot of concern for people, we talked about a situation with the F-150 Lightning, the Ford electric truck, where a user was trying to drive this from Canada to the eastern United States and ended up having to towed and renting a car because of all of these problems. It didn't break down. They just couldn't charge it. So oh, wow. the idea of being able to make better batteries that are higher capacity and also don't have, so they charge faster, that's number one, and also don't have the liquid core so that when they are finally depleted, you don't have as much chemicals leaching out of them when you're trying to recycle them would be a better thing. So that is where this is going. The company Quantum Skate has a proof of concept for solid state batteries that seem to achieve some of these things. They're saying it will rival Tesla. We'll see how this actually goes. But it is a bit of continued research that's being done in this area that seems to be showing some success. Amazon to begin selling cars online. Yes. Well, what do you think of that? You buy your next car, go and order it alongside your, you as, know. As long as I'm not buying a dress. <laughs> yeah, yeah you know, there's been okay. difficulties or something that's a knockoff, which these are not. So Amazon is partnering with Hyundai to do this. And this will start in 2024 where you can buy your next Hyundai Elantra or whatever through mm -hmm. Amazon. And it's a point and click system. The order is still fulfilled by the dealership. So they are still involved in that capacity. It's not going to just be delivered at your door on top of the Amazon truck, which would be interesting to see, <laughs> yeah. but uh, not quite going there yet. But it is definitely something that I'm surprised we haven't already seen as far as these type of things go to be able to do that. Now, there are some sites like Carvana and others that you can order a car from their website and it's delivered to your door. Carvana even has vending machines literally for cars where you can go up and it brings it down. Yeah, but these, generally speaking, are pre-owned, not new, and so you're having to pick from a selection that's already out there. Plus, they've also had their problems. They've been in the news for not being able to you buy your car. It's delivered to your driveway. They give you a temporary license from another state, and then you can't register it for six months because they don't get you the paperwork. So hopefully this solves some of those problems, too. Oh, so, God. yeah, that would, and a lot of people, but if you want to Google that, get more information, you'll find a lot of people that would agree with you that that would be bad because it is. So, you know, but Amazon, again, is very good at doing these type of things, cars being a new area for them.
But also, I think since we're looking at dealing with new instead of used and still dealing with dealerships that have the right to license and all of that in a local market, that will solve some of those problems. So we'll have to see how this goes out. I may get another high end and I might try this out next year just to uh, to see what it is. I wonder if the work would pay for that as a business expense. Hey. <laughs> another news topic for later. <laughs> AI agents can copy humans to get closer to artificial general intelligence. So the way that humans learn is by copying, basically. You see what's going on and repeat it, and then you're able to yeah. implement that. So that's what little kids Google's do. DeepMind and researchers with Google's DeepMind have demonstrated that AI can acquire skills in that same process called social learning. And Again, it's something that would be able to train AIs a lot faster as they learn on their own. Okay, so mm-hmm. question that will definitely come out of this is, are we headed down the track of Terminator with this? Well, I, and, I think it depends upon the humans that the AI is wanting to copy. I mean, you need to you know, be smart about it. that's the case, we are definitely you. headed down the track of Terminator with this. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> We, um, you know, as far as all of that goes, yes, human behavior, and it's going to be interesting to see where that goes. And there's a whole thing on AI ethics and things that we don't have time to dump into right now, but it is there. But as far as that type of a thing goes, as AIs can learn more, we are dealing with something that is completely different from anything that we've dealt with before. So as far as asking the question of where will this end up taking us, I don't know. I don't think we're headed down a real negative process like that. But it is going to be something we're going to want to watch is, you know, what happens when instead of, to use the Star Trek analogy from Amazon's Q, that you end up with lore instead of data. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) All right. Google's geothermal energy project now powers Nevada data centers. So Nevada has geothermal energy. I mean, that's nothing new. In fact, um, all of us having a connection to Reno knows about hot springs and there's a geothermal power plant in the southern part of Reno and stuff like that. So the idea of being able to use this uh, makes a lot of sense. Now, um, Google has claimed to be carbon neutral since 2007, but basically that means it buys carbon offsets but still uses fossil fuels. So in other words, why should I turn out my lights when I can pay someone else to turn out theirs? kind of thing. So they're still generating carbon, but they're not, um, they're kind of this net set thing. But by 2030, the company intends to run on carbon-free energy, which is different than that everywhere at all times. So you got to consider the task of this. Google uses the same amount of energy as Massachusetts in a year, which is about 18 terawatt hours. And that's mostly going to their data centers. That's a lot of energy for an entire that state. That is a lot of energy. Yeah. Massachusetts isn't exactly, you know, empty like Nevada. <laughs> no, it, it definitely is not. There is power consumption. Yeah. And they call the initiative 24-7 by 2030. And Google's investment in Nevada geothermal centers is a key piece of this plan because geothermal energy is carbon neutral or carbon absent, actually, if you look at it from that kind of a standpoint. so. The steam spins a turbine, and it creates the energy from that turbine, and Google Cloud has operations in Las Vegas, Henderson, and also Reno. So that's what they're using this for, Mm -hmm. and it seems to be working quite well as far as this goes. It took them six years to get up to this point, and hey, you know, uh, that's something to see that it's actually in place and being used and not some kind of a one-off. 
I think it's a good long-term goal investment, if you think about it. I mean, and there's a lot of geothermal further down, like in the Minden Gardnerville area too. Of yeah. Nevada. So I, this, is a, this is a good thing. <laughs> All righty. Theater owners are worried that Christmas box office hinges on DC Extended Universe sequel. So something pop culture for all of us here. The sequel is Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. And I'll have to see about getting our movie reviewer, uh, Bradley Weston, on to see what he thinks about the movie. But this is coming out. And basically what's going on here is that the whole concept of going to see a movie in the theater changed with COVID. And during that time, of course, there was a lot of speculation that are we going to still have movie theaters? And in fact, a lot did close and have consolidated and that type of thing. But it did seem like people, to some extent, are going back to theaters. And the online streaming platforms, for the most part, have gone back to the old business model where you have to see the movie in the theater first if you want to see it before you can see it on the platform. This isn't true 100% of the time, but definitely during COVID, when you had movies being released at the same time on both fronts, you had a situation where if I have a good home theater system, I'm going to watch it at my house. It costs less. It's easier to do that kind of thing. Now, I enjoy going to the movies, but well, I would going still- Going to the movies see- is, a, is a social thing. You know, yeah. it's almost like a mating social thing. You know, it's, you know, you have someone that you like, you ask them to go to the movies. It's a, it's a nice, simple date, you know? Yeah, so I do extend the- Star Trek analogy, as Data would say it, it has to do with teenage mating rituals. So, um, <laughs> didn't I just say that? <laughs> yes, you did. But I, I had to, I had to geek it out a little bit, right? So, oh, oh okay. Uh, <laughs> but no, at the end of the day, the concern here is, is if this movie doesn't come off well, there's going to be a lot of empty seats in the theaters. So, I guess my question would be to the experts who are hardcore DC fans. What's wrong with the extended universe? Now, I understand the term extended universe as far as Star Wars goes, but I do not have the knowledge base for the DC comic extended universe. What exactly does that mean? You know? Well, I'm hardly an expert on that myself. And, yeah. you know, but the bottom line of it is I do know at a very broad level, and I'm sure there will be people, including Bradley, that can correct me on this, um, but it has to do with what you're looking at. The, on the storyline. So like in star Wars, extended universes, additional characters, additional, whatever. It's non-canon. Yeah. Non-canon. I don't know if yeah. non-canon applies to Marvel, but it is certainly extended characters that you might not see in the base universe. Yeah. And there okay. are a lot of people that could get a lot better answer to that question in a lot more detail, but that is kind of a broad 10,000 foot view look at it, if you will. See, because I'd always looked at extended uh, universe as far as Marvel or DC, just comic books in general, because it seemed like every few years, Jeremy was telling me they started a new Spider-Man, you know, and some of them he liked and some of them he didn't like. So it just seemed like for comic books, they were always reinventing themselves. So I'm, I'm 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 confused about the concern. And I don't know. Maybe someone can can send us uh, some information on this user friendly yeah. dot show because my understanding is rebooting a universe would be different than an extended universe. So, okay. in other words, there's a rumor that they're going to bring the uh, Lucifer series back out, but they're going to reboot the universe at some point and then have a different outcome than the dismal season six that they had previously. <laughs> Maybe yeah. even do a movie that plugs into that. You know, those kind of things. 
We've seen it with Spider-Man. We've seen it with the Flash. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. You know, but I don't know if that qualifies as extended universe. It's changing the universe or multiple universes that you're dealing with from that standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so like, again, using uh, Spider-Man as an example, there's been some takes on that where you have the different Spider-Mans from the multiple universes. All but that seems to be standard behavior for the comic book universe. It is. You see that a yeah. lot. It's a way to be able, so, we've run out of stuff to write, so we're going to do it differently now kind of thing. So I'm, under, I, I'm I'm confused about the definition of what extended universe means in comic books in general. Well, let's find out. Let's see if Bradley yeah. knows, and we'll uh, we'll definitely rotate back to that. But in any event, whether it's an extended universe or a reboot or multiple universes, theater owners are still worried. If the Aquaman movie may not go well, and if it doesn't, there's not going to be a lot of people in theaters over the holiday it season. It has Jason Momoa. Of course it's going to be fine. Yeah, yeah. And the, <laughs> the first Aquaman actually did a lot better than they projected to. And I think, uh, you know, it's uh, looking at this and just looking at some of the trailers and stuff, I'm going to definitely want to go see the movie myself. So Yeah, you know. I'm not even an Aquaman fan, and I think it looks neat. <laughs> so, you know, I just, I, anybody that carries a trident's, you know, kind of the upper end of Warriors, so mm. that symbol, you know, got to work for this and other things ah. in this world. So, <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> all right, so we'll see what happens with all of that, and we're going to go from there. And again, like we were talking at the opening of this, we've got uh, this week and then two more new episodes for user-friendly and then we'll be doing some clip shows and then we'll be back in january with uh, new content for next year which will be kind of cool from that standpoint and for anybody that doesn't know we are now on in seattle on kkol the answer seattle two o'clock on saturday afternoons is the live broadcast and then one thing for our listeners in seattle you do have to wait a little bit longer to get the podcast because our time is five o'clock here in portland and then the podcast comes out after that. And I know that some people would grumble at me if we released the, con- the podcast before we aired in Portland. So, uh, yeah, two o'clock if you want to hear us. Hey, you get an early preview to the show or grab the podcast afterwards, which is available at userfriendly.show or either of the radio station's websites or anywhere that you get podcasts. The one thing to be careful is there are other things that come up when you request user-friendly. So make sure you get us and not one of the other ones. So if you go to userfriendly.show, you can make sure you're getting the right links for all of that type of thing. So like we talked about in the intro, next week, we're going to have a guest on that's going to be talking about AI agents and some of the different things that you can do with artificial intelligence technology. But a listener question that comes in and one that is worth considering is, do you actually need specific hardware? So we see NVIDIA's talking about an AI chipset and their stock's going up because they're going to be able to offer it. And what is that and that type of a thing. And we're going to dive into this in Tech Wednesday next week a little bit more. But the question that is asked on this is, am I going to need all new hardware to be able to work with AI? No. So Gretchen, go ahead and address that if you would for us, please. Uh-oh. <laughs> I hadn't even <laughs> thought of that. See, <laughs> and this is the reaction that a lot of people, I, I know I put you on the spot there, but it's the reaction that a lot of people are coming up with going, you know, is this going to be another investment in that type of a thing? And the answer to that is it depends on the set of circumstances you're dealing with. So to simply interact with AI, no. Um, Most of the time, AI, chat, GPT, and others are cloud-based. So as long as you can get on the internet and log into the system, you're good to go. But if you're a business... Lady A is in the room, and uh, if I mention her name, but you can talk to the little ball or the little computer thing. So right. why, why do you need special equipment? 
Well, and I think what this is referring more to is the actual AI platform where he, she, it is being hosted. Mm -hmm. So in other words, if you are a business and need to use AI in some aspect of your business and want that to be able to work on your servers, then yes, you will need hardware that is designed specifically able to run the AI platform. And that is where some of these NVIDIA chipsets and that type of thing come from. But it's not exactly where you need to buy a new computer just to be able to interact with AI. That's something different. Okay. So Lady A, uh, which uh, you're talking about, we're not mentioning her name to not trigger everybody's smart speaker. But the way that actually works is the AI is not present in the speaker. What it does is it takes a snippet recording of what you're asking when you say the wake word. And that's sent mm -hmm. back to a server, and then the response is sent back to your speaker, okay? Your phones work the same way, all of, all of those different devices, mainly because equipment on its own that fits in a small device like that would not have the processing capability, and even if they could make it that small, it would be extremely expensive. And there's no real reason to do that when you can use a distributed system, which is the way they have it set up right now. Now, the negative side of that that we've talked about in the past is privacy. Because a short recording of what you're saying is going out and you are being monitored for saying the wake word to be able to activate that. And that has its own realm of advantages and disadvantages, accusation of things are being monitored. I know the bigger companies have gotten this pretty much nailed down now uh, to a standpoint where it is private, hopefully, unless they're doing something they shouldn't. And that would be a big controversy if that was the case. But I haven't heard anything about that in recent, well, years or two now since the last big thing yeah. came out with that. So hopefully that means they're doing the right thing. Yeah, let's hope but, so. Uh, but there are those out there that don't want to use, you know, voice-activated smart speakers or phones or all the rest of it, which is totally understandable. And, you know, the thing of it is, is, well, I search on something and then I get ads for it and all of that kind of thing. Uh, that actually isn't the AI. Usually that's the browser you're using that's monitoring that end of it and then linking it you know, based on an algorithm, but um, cookies cookies, and yeah, and, and these type of things. And, uh, you know, privacy being definitely a big part of that. And you know, it's interesting you bring that up too, because we're about to get next year, I believe it is to where standard cookies are no longer going to be supported or already aren't depending on the setup. Um, but there have already come up with other ways to do content tracking. So don't worry, your, your, your online stuff is not going to be secret. Oh, good. <laughs> I can't do it on the radio, but here's my sarcasm sign, right? So, I you know, know. <laughs> yeah, that's a, here's your but, sign. Um, but anyway, we'll have to see what next year brings, because I think AI is going to continue to be a topic. I'd be awfully surprised if it isn't and uh, see where that is going to take us and where we are going to end up. All right. Next segment of the show, Bill's going to be joining us talking about role playing games. And a new one that came out that I learned when we did the interview is not Dungeons and Dragons. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Have you seen him? He's from the future. He's got a really big computer. And he uses it, uses it every day. And he uses it, uses it in every way. What's he use it for? You know I'm not that sure because he uses Welcome back. This is User Friendly 2.0. Check out our website, userfriendly.show. You can find everything User Friendly 2.0 there. Submit your story ideas, look at the back episodes, play everything on demand. Let us know what you think. That's userfriendly.show. Larry Morris with Mortgage Solutions Financial. 
If you own a home and have more credit card debt than you are comfortable with, contact us today for your no-cost debt consolidation review. 971-229-2215. That's 971-229-2215. All right, the holidays are upon us, and a lot of different things that we're looking at this year. There isn't like a big new video game system or really a mobile phone. There's new stuff out there, but not like there has been in past years. So a lot of other products are being featured now, which are kind of cool, that are a little bit more interactive. And one of them is a new or update. And Bill, you have to correct me if I'm wrong on that for Call of uh, Cthulhu for Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, the release date being this month. Uh, I don't think we have anything more specific on it. But go ahead and tell us a little bit about that. Well, first of all, Bill, Call of Cthulhu is a completely different system than Dungeons and Dragons. Okay, so like I say, correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> and there you are. <laughs> no, uh, our friends over at Chaosium sent me over a uh, new campaign, which is an interesting take on things because it is a solo adventure um, designed to be played by yourself. Um, really? Yes. It is. That's interesting. Yep, it's called Alone Against the Static, and it takes place in the 1990s in the Black Hills of, uh, I guess that's South Dakota, North Dakota? I, I don't know. <laughs> But it's an interesting one because, again, it's a choose-your-own-adventure sort of thing, but it also incorporates the dice rolls because, and your character sheets and such like that. So you either you're, you're, you play one of a, two people that are a couple, either Alex or Charlie, and each one has their own strengths and weaknesses. Each story has completely different twists and turns to it. Um, me playing through it, I ended up with the typical ending for a Call of Cthulhu game where my character ended up dying to a horrible Eldritch Abomination, but uh, that's pretty par for the course of these games. So, I mean, you play Call of Cthulhu a lot differently than you play Dungeons and Dragons. But I was really impressed by it because, again, with the way that um, Chaosium does their stuff, uh, the starter pack that I first got years ago when they re-updated to the new edition, had it so that there was a solo campaign in its rule book to help you understand how to make characters, how to do roles, how to do things like that. So this is like a very good extension on that in that you don't see too many solo campaigns, really. Um, and so I'm really looking huh. forward to how this one is accepted by, you know, everybody. Do you think that was inspired you said that test thing was done. Do you think that inspired this particular product? Probably. I mean, it it is interesting to be able to play a campaign solo because it has a checklist that has no spoilers, things like that. So as you play through, you can go and then, of course, you're jumping back and forth. Um, the PDF they sent me, which I, I imagine is going to be a little bit more updated um, for the market, had it so you could click on which number you were going to, and it would take you straight to that page. It lets you read it. It was so streamlined and quick. Um, and of course, I believe they're doing it in a hard copy as well. So for people who want to do that, you know, they, you're a book reader. <laughs> cool. So I'm going to ask a question, that, and this is actually, you know, being that I've been gaming for most of my life, probably should know the answer to. But it's not something I've run into before. Is a solo role-playing game a common thing? To a degree, it was at a time. But nowadays, I don't see them too often. 
Um, so usually the campaigns are for multiple people in Call of Cthulhu. So, right. The only time I ever saw a solo adventure campaign was when I was in high school and they were doing um, very rudimentary computer programs where they would tell you what happens and then you would have a multiple choice click and stuff like that. That's the only time I've ever seen an individual campaign. Well, years ago, and these were people who worked with Gygax, um, the actual uh, Choose Your Own Adventure series of books, those kind of fell into that, but those guys actually worked yeah. with Gygax and split off as a separate company to make those. Oh, books. that's interesting. I didn't know there was that connection was, because, yeah, I remember Choose Your Own Adventure books, of course. I mean, that was something that was out there. And Gretchen, kind of what you're talking about, one of my favorite uh, games like that was something called Zork, Return to Zork, something anyway. It was oh, a yeah. text based, you know, kind of a thing yeah. from a Sierra Online in those days. I believe that was the company, at least I could be wrong on that. I, but, I actually tried to make one. You know, yeah. but I never, mm-hmm. I just didn't have, you know, the, the computing power to do so. <laughs> and, uh, but, but I remember those type of things, but from Bill, from what you're saying, this is different. It's hard copy or PDF, you know, but it's still a book either way you look at it, yep. but it's, it, it varies from choose your own adventure. So I don't know. And if it's something you like, I think it might be something worth checking out because uh, like I say, I have, I have not heard of this genre before and, um, it may be just something I hadn't really looked for, but this sounds kind of cool, especially when, you know, when you have your material and the power's out or something, and it seems to happen more often lately around here, you would have something that uh, you could sit and do that's not dependent on all of these other things, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, I mean, it was a good afternoon that I sat down and played. Um, and again, you're you're still using dice rolls in it. And it tells you, you know, what check to make and if you succeed or if you fail or what you choose to do. Um, it gives it that air of literal randomness to how you play. So like they say, no two playthroughs will be the same. Have you done a second one? I kind of, for me, I was going through on one side. Um, had some other things I had to do. But I played it a little bit differently where... I ran it through and then went back and saw what the other choices would do just to see Uh, Mm -hmm. because I was looking at it as more from, you know, this review standpoint that we have of how does it differ and how does it change? And I was very impressed by how much of a different game you can end up with just one dice roll. Wow. Or one choice even. So now that's, I I don't know, that sounds just like something really interesting. I'm going to check it out. I know it comes out in December. I don't, think as we're recording right now that it's out yet, but it is December, so presumably sometime in the next few weeks. And um, I, I now, do you still just order these up like a book? Um, I know they sent you a PDF for the preview. Is that an option? How is this stuff distributed now? A lot of it's through their site. Um, Call of Cthulhu, uh, a lot of their published material you can buy at your local gaming store, too. Um, that's how you can get a lot of the rules and starter sets. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you can go online. You should probably could find it on Amazon. That's where I've seen a number of their campaigns and such, too. So Now, do you think for this you're going to need additional material, or would you just be able to buy this module or whatever they're calling it and be able to play it just from that? Yeah, I mean, it, it tells you to 
pick up some other stuff, but there is the starter set and there is kind of an online starter. So you can get those rules without having to pay too much or much or anything, you know, the basic rules. I, I suggest getting the starter set if you're really into it because, yeah. you know, it's it a good lean kind way of a idea to background, it. But, oh, that is, uh, that's cool. All right. Well, tell us a little bit about the gameplay. Uh, I, I know it's a choose your own adventure, but what was it like going through it? It was really interesting because, again, you know, like as choose your own adventures, it jumps around the book so that you don't get stuck with, uh, you know, seeing what's coming next. And was, go ahead, Gretchen. Was there any artwork? Oh, yeah. Lots of good artwork in oh. it. Really helped set the mood and this feeling of, you know, being alone in the uh, Black Hills and such. And they threw in a lot of stuff that really made it feel like the 90s, you know, like old CRT televisions with you know, VCRs and no cell phones, uh, things like that, that really helped to allude to that sense of being alone um, that they wanted. And as far as the gameplay goes, you'll just be reading through and all of a sudden it's like, do a spot hidden check to find this. Like that's one of the very first ones I believe that it is. And you're looking for to see if there's a comedy instead of a horror film for the VCR. So depending on how you succeed or not depends on which tape you find or where and how the story progresses. Because you're also battling... I wanted to take... No, go ahead, Bill. I'm sorry. Because you're also battling with a relationship that's falling apart. So you're trying to keep it together or play it from, you know, being adversarial towards your partner and stuff like that, which also affects how the overall game becomes and plays out. So you said you played it from end to end. How much time did it actually take you to get through one adventure set? Uh, about an hour and a half. Okay. All right. So that's reasonable. That's, that's cool. Like I said, I'm going to have to check this thing out. So anything else you want to tell us about it? No, I just, it's very unique. And I think anybody who's really into Call of Cthulhu and is looking for something like this is going to enjoy it. All right, so as soon as we figure out where to buy it, we will put that up on our social media, so be watching for that. But I'm not promising it this week yet, because being released in December could mean just about anything in December, right? So Yeah, <laughs> yeah. a whole month. So we'll see that when that comes along. So, hey, on the topic of this, uh, let's talk a little bit broader. Is there any other new role-playing stuff that's kind of a have-to-get this year for gamers? or are you, Bill, are you seeing anything really kind of fresh coming out there? A lot of the fresh stuff I've seen has come through Kickstarter. So it's independent companies or people that are just starting up. Um, of course, a lot of those that I bought into have already completed. Um, right. But as far as like official stuff, like from Dungeons & Dragons, I have not been impressed by their stuff recently. I'll just be honest about it. Um, so Wizards of the Coast, I feel like, is dropping the ball because they're trying to head in too many directions at once. And maybe they don't understand how the market plays out for tabletop RPGs, you know? Um, That's definitely been some of the feedback I've been seeing too, is that, uh, and it's not for lack of want players want new material. It's just, and that's why I wanted to ask you the question is, you know, maybe I just missed something, but it doesn't seem like there's even been that much new stuff, and what there has been hasn't really been necessary to get. 
Yeah, I mean, there's Pathfinder 2nd Edition. They just did what they call uh, Pathfinder Remastered, which they basically have stripped out any connection that they had to the old 3.5 Dungeons & Dragons. So, you know, they as people complain, they stripped out owlbears even from it. And, you know, it's just oh, they're, wow. they're distancing themselves from Wizards of the Coast for legal reasons, mostly, at this point. And so I can't blame them for that, but there's a new set for that which came out, which broke the big core rule book that I have into two or three books now. And so that's kind of nice for people who don't want to buy and pack around that big one. <laughs> oh, that makes sense, you know, and, and uh, see where that's going. But, but again, still, you're looking at repackaging of things. You're not really looking for something or at something that's new and fresh, it doesn't sound like. Yeah, they changed a lot of rules, cleared up a lot of uh, issues that were probably would have held me back even playing it. And I mean, I a lot of that was because uh, they wanted to make it so it didn't seem like so much of uh, doing taxes. <laughs> okay, yeah, that makes sense. Sheet. <laughs> so they they cleaned up I some like things. That. I like that analogy, actually. <laughs> no, that that was you know we played Pathfinder when we first started playing, so you kind of remember how much math and stuff went into those sheets mm -hmm. yeah and yeah uh, it was yeah. confusing for me i was just like i remember old D, it was really easy you know and <laughs> well, i mean like, thaco looks simple in some ways which is saying a lot you know so it's, oh yeah <laughs> so too cool all right well we'll get the information out there as we have it and uh speaking of holidays and buying stuff this is in addition to being the holiday season, the season of scams. And one of the questions or a number of questions that come in on this is basically the idea of why do scammers do what they do? Well, to get money. But what kind of a benefit is it for doing things like fake products? So on that line, I wanted to talk a little bit about some of where this goes. And this is some research that was done online. The site that this pertains to is something called Wish, wish.com. Oh. And... Yeah, even, yeah, that's a little bit of the reaction. They've been out there for a while. But when you go to Wish.com and other sites, a lot of times you'll look up electronics and you'll find fake versions of real things. Okay, so you can't get a PlayStation 5 and on Amazon. There's a product, or I, I think it was Amazon or one of those, that it was a product that looked very similar and claimed that it came with over 100,000 game ROMs pre-installed. So the case was similar and all this kind of stuff. And when you get it for... $89 or whatever it costs. It works, but you're going through a list of either pirated, knocked off, or just fake stuff uh, that's listed on this thing. My favorite one on that was Super Mario in Jail. Uh, interesting little thing uh, to see. I do not believe that was an official Nintendo release. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog is Mario, you know, 15 different ROMs, hacks, these kind of things. And all that kind of stuff coming up. But on Wish, they had a couple of products that were handheld gaming computers. Both the products existed. And if you were to go to the manufacturer, they would run you $1,000, give or take, Intel i7-based stuff and um, are the real deal. But on this site, you could buy it for under 100 bucks. So the question then becomes is, what is actually going on here? So the uh, people that did the research on it went ahead and ordered it, knowing that they were probably going to get scammed just to kind of see what would happen. And, you know, why, why are they doing this? With a couple of different potential options, one of them is nothing. You don't get the product. The second one is you get some sort of a product, but it's not what you ordered. 
or the third option is something, you know, completely different, or they just simply cancel it because there's some kind of a issue in the ordering system. So the order went out and they have 30 days to fulfill. And the original people that did the research on this were publishing it. So on day 28, as soon as they published their article to see what was going on, which canceled the order. Just that was it. Oh, hmm. Money was refunded. So then I believe it was his girlfriend or partner or something, different name, different address, reorders the same products. And this time they didn't really put it out there. So, you know, they're going back and forth and the thing comes up that your order has been fulfilled and a tracking number is provided. Um, of course, nothing ever arrived. So that seemed to be what was going on with this. So they went on to try to cancel the order. It hadn't been delivered and that kind of thing. And all of a sudden, her login to Wish didn't work. Account cannot be found. Uh-huh. Now, understand that even though the account cannot be found, she's still receiving emails on that account from Wish. So they were a little bit technical. And he went back to the original computer that they had ordered from, which was still logged into Wish's system. And we're able to still get on that way and be able to file a dispute. And eventually, at the end of the day, got their money back. So the question is, is really, what is the point of all that? It would seem like, now I don't have solid evidence to this effect, but just common sense would seem like that Wish is somewhat involved in this. It's not just the seller. Yeah. And then the second part of it is kind of why. And what we can come up with is a few different things. Is number one, the scammer now has your uh, email address, shipping address, name, all of that kind of stuff. Even if they cancel the product, that information has been shared for them to be able to fulfill the order. The other part of it is, is there's a certain bit of dynamics of scale that some people won't cancel the order and it'll run out of time. So you have 30 days to say that it didn't arrive or whatever the case may be. And certainly if your account's blocked, but even if it's not, they get paid because you you know didn't get in. And even if that's a small percentage of the people that actually order it, that's money for the scammers. One of the other interesting things that we've seen in some other cases where this type of stuff happens is that you actually are shipped a product, but it's something completely different and random. And generally that's done to get a tracking number to tell the seller, hey, I shipped the product and be able to make that kind of a claim. So it's just one of these things that a lot of people have been asking about. I think the scam is a little more prevalent this year than it has been in the past. It's one thing if you go on and it's obviously a fake and you know that you're ordering a fake. Okay, that's not really a scam, I guess. It's more just, you know, you kind of see what you can get, which can be some interesting things. And if you want to play Mario Goes to Jail on an $89 PlayStation 5 knockoff, then you can. But it's when it's saying that it's the real PlayStation 5 or whatever, and these other things happen, that you want to be careful. So if a product is going for four or $500 and you see it somewhere for 50 bucks and it's too good to be true, it's like the old adage, you probably want to <laughs> you get what be you care for, you know? Exactly, exactly. And uh, <laughs> and kind of go from there. I, some of these knockoffs are very interesting. I've seen a lot of them built on Raspberry Pi where they just load ROMs. Um, 100,000 video games, I haven't checked, but I don't know if there's been 100,000 video games. But on the one, it was like you would have 15 versions of Super Mario World, each one counting as a different game, none of them being real, and all of them being hacked in some way. So the text boxes come up and say something different than what it would in the normal game and all of that kind of stuff. The other thing that was interesting about that particular console, too, is it ran off of an SD card. That's where the ROMs were. And then there was a second SD card that came with it that I believe was made in Moscow because everything on it was Russian. 
<laughs> I've never seen anything quite like that. It was just uh, uh, whatever version, whatever port. Um, it's some very interesting things with Sonic the Hedgehog. This is another thing to be careful of is if you do get something like that, even just to play around, check it out first because a number of the ROMs were not family friendly. Yeah. And um, yeah, yeah, it was. So you might and be it thinking you're buying something for your child and it's actually something really Oh, very adult themed stuff and not like yeah. leisure suit Larry things that were in production at one time. This in some cases was straight out pornography and um, definitely not an appropriate thing. I, I don't even think I'm old enough for stuff like that. So it's, uh, <laughs> <you know. laughs> so it's just one of those things to watch what you get. And also the site that you're going to, I always support supporting small business, but you do have to check everyone out and make sure who you're ordering from is legitimate because there's a lot of good fakes out there. But we've even run into this on Amazon. I know Gretchen, you and I talked about this previously that you had ordered yeah. some clothing that the was dresses just that were not made for humans. <laughs> not made for humans. And what they had done is it looked like they had cut the dress out from a form. And then if your size was different than the original size it was made for, they took out one seam and just added panels uh-huh. on one side. Yeah. So, so um <laughs> if you were a lopsided wow. something or other. I mean, the, the dresses were just horrible. Yeah, I, mean, I remember that. And then we would now, this was through Amazon, and Amazon did take care of it, which I appreciate. They're usually are, are good about stuff like that. But uh, nevertheless, it's one of those things where you just want to make sure that you do a little bit of research and see what you're getting. And in this day and age, with all of the new electronics coming out and the fact that it's been until very recently somewhat difficult to get some of these bigger. Uh, or higher end things like the new Xbox, the new PlayStation, and some other stuff of that nature, that the fakes definitely are out there trying to get your money, but it's not quite or even anywhere close to what you would expect. So another question, Bill, I'm going to ask you this. This is going to be Tech Wednesday next week, but I just want to get your opinion on it because this is another question that's come in, is you can finally go to the store and buy a PlayStation 5, a new version of an Xbox. All these things are available. But the technology is now two years old. So the question is, is if I buy this now, am I buying obsolete technology because it's two years old? Consoles are different than computers. I'll just throw that out there. And in reality, there are updates that they do do to the hardware and software in these consoles. Um, There's generations. Um, what? Let me go back to like the place, original PlayStation. By the time the first PlayStation came out to where the last PlayStation came out and the PS1s was almost a completely different machine. So going and buying them, you're not necessarily uh, getting the wrong or, you know, old dated material. You're getting newer stuff. And again, consoles you buy because they're consoles, they're stable they're considered uh you get what you buy you know what you're getting they're not like pcs where you will have to update you have to do this you have to deal with other stuff um so buying a new console is is still extremely viable i know from a programmer standpoint too as consoles you know what you're coding for and like you say pcs can be something completely different and that's one thing that Apple does do well is because you have a pretty good idea of what you're developing on and you're not having to worry about so much of these changes. So from that standpoint, that's interesting. So you have subversions, And I know with the PlayStation 4, it was like that. My first one is very different from the thin or mini or something 
I know there's more memory capacity. It's physically smaller and that type of a thing, but they both seem to do the same thing at the end of the day. So I don't know if the one's faster, really. It just had more capacity, I think, was the biggest difference. Yeah. And that's the truth of it, is they were a lot more stable, too, as they go. Um, So a new, like, let's say a PS5 that you bought originally um, when they first came out, the newer ones are a lot more stable. A lot of the bugs have been worked out. Um, things like that. So they're going to be better. And of course, you can buy newer models that might have uh, higher storage capacities, things like that, as technology has advanced. Yeah, and that totally, totally makes sense. All right, cool. Well, good topic and stuff to look out for for the holidays. Let us know what you think. Have you run into anything? Userfriendly.show. We want to hear from you. And you program our show. Let us know what you're worried about and if you've run into stuff, and we'd love to talk about it on the air. Until next week, this is User-Friendly 2.0, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. User-Friendly 2.0 is copyright 2023, User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. All rights reserved. Views expressed on this show are those of the host and not necessarily User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. or this station. Music licensing by VMI. Hosting and technology provided by wearetechnology.com. Listen at theanswerportland.com, userfriendlyshow.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts.